0: If you've ever wanted to listen to an episode of a podcast that talks about Dungeons and Dragons, stories of overpriced pizza, The Mandalorian, audiobooks, and most importantly, one of the greatest books ever written and one of the best film adaptations ever made, The Fellowship of the Ring, then this second episode of Parallel Quest is definitely the one for you, so stay tuned. But before we get into it, we want to encourage you to head over to our website, steellakestudio.com. We are Steel Lake Studio, and our website is steellakestudio.com. And Parallel Quest is doing a special launch. For the next six weeks, we will be having two episodes a week, every Monday and Thursday. And after that, we will be publishing every Monday. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to stay updated. So do that as we start this episode of the podcast. Thanks. Two friends talk about the stories we love and how they've impacted our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe better said, across the internet from me, is my great friend and co host, Zach Butler. Hey, how's everybody
1: doing out there? I'm excited to have number two of the podcast here.
0: Yeah, this is our second episode. This is pretty exciting. And for those of you who have not listened to episode one, it's a good way to get to know a little bit more about Zach and I. But this episode, episode two, will be more like the format that we are going to use going forward. Uh, But before we get into the main topic of the show, let's just catch up with one another. And Zach, just tell me a little bit about how you're doing. How have you been? I've been good, man. I've been busy. Um, Chick-fil-A is, is
1: bumping right now. It's uh, November 24th, so we're coming into one of our biggest weeks um, for, for chicken. Um, this, this Friday is Black Friday. Um, you might have heard of it. Um, it is one of our biggest days because that's a big shopping day, so while everyone's out buying their Christmas gifts at a, a really good rate, um, they also swing by our store. 'Cause they do not have time to go home and eat, so which we love. It's coming in the holiday season, so it's always crazy um at the store. And then um my wife is finally done with a lot of her her wedding, um wedding things. Uh she's a for those of you who don't know, she's a wedding coordinator slash planner, slash schedule. She does she wears many hats at her job. But uh she's finally done with that for the season. The wedding season I I guess is over here in uh in Pittsburgh, so Um, I'll be seeing a lot more of her around the house, which I love. So I'm looking forward to that and I'm just kind of gearing up for the holidays, man. How about you?
0: Yeah, I've been doing pretty good. I am kind of doing the same, getting ready for the holidays. We were just kind of going over what we're going to get everybody for Christmas, kind of had one of those days and it's, it's one, it's one of those things that's both exciting and overwhelming. Uh, when, when you're in my situation, I've got three kids, uh, five, four and, uh, almost two. So that's pretty crazy, but, uh, it's all good. It's a great time of year. It's a lot of fun. But, uh, as far as life for me, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm still working through a master's degree and I'm so close to being done with that, but I'm in a really overwhelming, uh, part of my schedule. So that's kind of crazy. Um, but, uh, it's all good. Everything's going pretty well. Um and uh yeah, yeah, we'll talk about a couple of things uh we've got some opinions on here, but Zach, you were mentioning here that you got into a role playing game you want to tell me a little bit about that and uh, yes,
1: yeah, so this past weekend, um I got recently back into playing um Dungeons and Dragons um it is a different version though of like the normal dungeons and dragons it's a like warhammer 40k space version of it but it was cool to me because i i when we were younger we used to play these role-playing games and i was just like kind of there to more to like do the story part of it um i really at that age really did like storytelling and um our one friend who was like a really good dungeon master he would really create these worlds and these situations that I could almost like pretty much visualize. So um, it was always like fun to play like the story and we wanted to get good gear and we wanted to like earn more money so we could buy better things. And I played it very much how you play a video game. But now like that I'm older, I'm 29. I don't really play RPGs as much anymore. Um, and it was just cool to kind of get back in to RPG playing. and. Basically, it's moved from we want to have the best gear and the best characters to who can crack the funniest jokes and how is <laughs> life going for all the friends. Um, yeah. It was like more of a way of just getting back together and just catching up, cracking some jokes, pretending to be something. I mean, it was so, it was so casual that like no one took things seriously. Like certain roles on things, people would just be like, ah, go ahead, just take it because like I want to try this or I want to I want to talk about this. So. It was just really cool to um, just kind of get back in it, but in a completely different way, because some of the guys have kids now and some of them like are moving up in their jobs and their careers. And so it's more about just pretending to be something vaguely, crack some funny jokes and then like catch up. So I, I really I love how role playing kind of evolves over time with friends and family or whoever you're playing with.
0: Now, could you ever see yourself getting into live action role play? Could you yes. ever see yourself being a larp'er? Could you do that, where you actually dress up and weapon yourself up and and go and smash on smash on each other?
1: Well, here's the thing: <laughs> I have I've seen some larping at my my college that I attended. Um, I actually did a study on LARPing for the a documentary film class I was taking um, because I was going to do the documentary film on the world of LARPing. But I don't think I am that kind of person to dress up, not saying that those people are whatever, but I I don't think I could dress up in like medieval gear with giant foam swords or whatever and pretend to like actually do battle. Although there is a guy at my store who does like, like reenactments of like medieval battles. So he, he goes like all out, not LARPing. So like, this is, this is real, like historically accurate fighting is what he does. And I thought that was cool. I don't think I would ever do that, but I thought that was a new take on LARPing because I thought it was LARPing, but he, he very clearly said, this is not LARPing. This is
0: It's reenacting.
1: Real. This is reenacting. Yeah. This is real. So yeah, it's a think, big distinction.
0: Uh, I think the only time I ever saw that on display, and this is going to be telling a little bit about myself, was uh, in the movie Sweet Home Alabama. Okay. Her, uh, her father, uh, Reese Witherspoon's father, does uh, Civil War reenactments. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know I know a little bit about Sweet Home Alabama. I've seen it once or twice. You know, no once shame. Once or that. twice or 10 times, yeah. It's it's a charming film. It uh, is. I actually got a funny story from the week here. I uh so I love to uh basically have Friday nights in our family be fun nights. And so since the Disney Plus is going strong and the Mandalorian is going strong and they drop on Friday. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be the hero of Friday, but <laughs> I'm going to put in a pizza order, pick up the pizza on the way home. My family's going to celebrate me as I come in, right? Kids are all excited because they get to eat pizza. My wife's all excited because, you know, we get to have a nice, easy dinner, minimal cleanup, no cooking, all that stuff, right? So I get mm-hmm. to be the hero of Friday. <laughs> And uh, I come in, you know, ready for my moment. You know, I got the pizzas in hand. Kids are so excited to see me. Everyone is, you know, giving me high fives, hugs, kisses on the way in. You know, I, I'm a, I'm the hero. Got the pizzas and uh, just so excited about it. And so we, we eat this pizza and come to find out, I sit down at the dinner table and my sons tell me like, Dad, Mom told us not to tell you, but we watched The Mandalorian without you. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> During the day while you were at work. <laughs> oh. And so then they then proceeded to tell me everything that happened in the episode. And Good, and it was yes. okay. It was okay. At that it's, point, I fully embraced it to yeah. see how well they were paying attention and seeing how well they could spit back to me what happened in the, the story. And I was pretty impressed.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, it,
0: but the, uh, the saga doesn't end there. That wasn't the end of it. Oh gosh. You know, we all we ended up watching the show and uh, I, I I liked it. I'm loving this show, it's great. hmm And uh, then the next day I wake up in the morning and my wife is checking the the online baking <laughs> and she was like, Hey, did you know that the pizza place charged you three hundred and thirty four dollars and ninety seven cents? What? And I was like, What? Uh no, so so what happened is uh, the pizza was supposed to be $34.97. And just the person at the counter accidentally hit three, two <laughs> times in a row.
1: You mean you <laughs> didn't buy a $300 pizza? I thought no you wanted way, to be man. the hero. You wanted to be the hero. Right.
0: Hero of the family, not the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. so, so anyway... Um, you know, had to had to talk to the, the owner of the pizza place, very nice about it, super apologetic. I you know, it's honest mistake. It could happen yeah. to anybody. You know, those those things, it's easy to slip in, hit an extra button. We do it all the time, right? Call the wrong phone number, send oh, something man. stupid in a text. Just it, it can happen. It's just it's unfortunate when it happens with your bank account. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes. That's that's when it hurts a little.
0: But I had, you know, I had my heroic moment and uh, the, the story wasn't over, right? It was like the twist in the plot. Like, right when you think yeah. that the story was was going to end, you had that plot twist in there of uh, you, you still got to resolve the conflict. Right, but right. It's kind of a funny story that I, I figured I'd share with you just because um it is it's funny, but at the same time, kind of learn the lesson. Like, don't freak out when that type of stuff happens. Like, I know when someone messes up at a restaurant or someone messes up, at a place of service, mm-hmm. you kinda want to lash out, get mad, but most of the time it's just something super simple that got overlooked. They weren't trying to make your experience bad. They weren't trying to overcharge you. They weren't trying to rip you off. It just they get busy and the the hustle and bustle sometimes, you just you you make a quick mistake, right? We all do it with all of our mm-hmm. things. So when when you you have a little thing like that happen, just try to be understanding. You know, they were real nice to me. They refunded me in cash and World See, thing.
1: as someone who so. works in that industry, I appreciate you saying that because I feel like sometimes people take it as like a personal attack and 9 times out of 10 it's probably some 15-year-old hitting the wrong button or not really paying full attention. So, yeah, it is it right. is most of the time an honest mistake. Unless you're like me who one time called the wrong pizza place, ordered $60 worth of pizza, and then soon found out when he was going to pick it up that it was forty five minutes away, and I was definitely not driving an oh, hour geez. and a half to buy pizza. <laughs> so I had to call <laughs> the pizza place back <laughs> and tell him, "Oh no, hey, <laughs> my bad. I did not mean to call you. That was not a fun phone call." And I ended up paying oh, sixty dollars for a pizza I never ate. <laughs> because oh, man, she guilted. Me. I am. I am the worst. When it comes to conflict, I will I will cave in. I did I, it's not a great character quality. I don't think it's a bad one, but like I will cave in every time because I'll feel so bad. And so she this lady on the phone was just like, You people call and do this all the I was like, first of all, lady, like this is the first time I've ever done this, and second of all, if you have this happening all the time, maybe you should change your policy because something's <laughs> like, why are you selling so much pizza that you're not actually giving to people?
0: <laughs> so this I had that all the time. Yeah, she literally. <laughs> I
1: was like, I'm sorry, but like, I was like, I'll pay for half or like whatever, and she's like, No, you're paying the full thing, and like, I definitely had the upper hand because I was just on the phone with her. She didn't know anything really right. other than my name, so right. I was like, oh, I could just hang up and get this over with. But I was like, no, I gotta, I gotta do the right thing. I gotta pay for the. You pizza. You've got integrity.
0: You're a man of integrity.
1: I was like, I gotta pay for the pizza. I gotta, and then I, right before I hung up, I was like, well, give it to your employees and tell it's from me. She's like, no, and then hung up.
0: <laughs> oh snap! <laughs> yeah, like no that's uh, that's that's when you oh, know no,
1: that's cold that was cold that's when
0: you know like maybe i shouldn't have given her the money for <laughs> yeah. she's not even willing to drop yeah. some love to her employees you know oh
1: man but,
0: oh man that's too funny
1: yeah yeah <laughs> i'm glad yours turned out a little better because yeah it
0: turned out it turned out pretty good it's it, you know it's a nice family-owned pizza place yeah and- <laughs> you know, I felt bad because they were asking me some details about like the person who rung me up and it's like,
1: uh, yeah, you don't want
0: to really don't want to throw her under the bus. But the guy was basically like, I just have to tell my employees to make sure to check credit card receipts. Can you at least describe who it was? I was like, okay. Mm. So I gave like a little description and he's like, all right, I know who that is. But you know, hopefully she doesn't like lose her job. I don't think she will. She's been (laughs) working there for as long as I've been ordering pizza from there. Um, (laughs) But anyway, I um, another thing I want to talk about today, our main topic is a fellowship of the ring. And we're going to get to that. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about our experiences with that story. But before we do, uh, I do, I like to listen to audiobooks. I don't know if you like to listen to audiobooks, Zach, but I do like to listen to them uh, quite a bit, actually. It helps pass the time when I'm at work, and it's way more interesting than listening to the same... Uh, 1980s music that plays throughout the yes. shop uh, for all eternity. Mm. And uh, I was just thinking about this. Like, don't get me wrong. I think Audible is a pretty good service. You have a lot of options. But in a world where Netflix and Disney Plus exist and Hulu exists and all these great streaming services for for movies, it's like, man, I kind of wish there was something a little bit better for audiobooks. Hey everyone, just a quick message here from Cody in the future. After recording this podcast, I actually did find out about another subscription service for audiobooks. It's called Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D. You can go to Scribd.com and find out about them. They're not sponsoring this episode or anything, so this isn't an advertisement. Just figured I would let you know that I found out about something else because we talk about Audible and kind of lack of competitors here for the next few minutes. So they do have some competitors, but the libraries are nowhere near as extensive. But I figured I'd let you know. And now we're going to get back to our normal programming. Thanks. And I understand the publishing industry isn't raking in nearly as much money as in the movie business. But I was was thinking to myself, I was like, there's got to be a way to get a subscription service where you can get more to listen to for what i would consider to be a little bit better of a value a better price like 15 bucks a month for audible while it's saving money on most audiobooks it's still pretty steep to get like one book a month and yeah. i don't know i don't know how you feel about that i don't know how, if you've ever thought through like man i wish there was just a better audiobook service uh, i was just thinking about that this week like man i just wish there was something out there
1: yeah i i ha- i go back and forth because I listen to. Here's what I enjoy. I enjoy Audible's originals a lot. Like the two, you can pick two free originals and they're like NPR grade, like just highly, highly uh, produced either stories or um, like books or uh, journals or whatever. Um, I do like those a lot about Audible. What I. I do go back and forth as well with the, the, the price that you pay for Audible. And then mm-hmm. you still got to pay $32 for a new book that comes out, which is sometimes the same price as the book in the store. And I don't really understand right. that because I'm not even buying a hard copy of it. It's just mm-hmm. a digital copy that I'm sure if I did some like looking around on the internet, I could find probably for free. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I wish there was – I wish – the end of the day, I kind of wish Amazon had like a competitor. Um, I yeah. wish Apple or um, Kobo or some of these other independent or like industries that are really good with technology, but maybe aren't focusing so much on the um, like smaller consumer products like books and stuff like that. They're focusing more on like the big technology. I wish they would take a little time like Amazon did to invest in that because I think Amazon's seeing a lot of a lot of money come from indie authors and for people that are like getting into the audiobook scene. I think Amazon's really the only place you can go right now. I'm not even sure yeah. if there is another one. Um, and if it is, then they need to step up their game because I haven't heard or, and I don't know about it. So um, yeah, I, I would
0: I think the, I think the biggest competitor is probably your local library to be honest.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good, Do you have the app overdrive by the way? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's a great app. It's oh, great it's fantastic. App. Love that app. I don't use it as much, but I, I definitely I recommend that to anyone listening. If you have a library card and download the OverDrive app, it's, mm-hmm. it's a good way to listen to, to audiobooks yep. other than Amazon, which I think I'm actually a couple months behind on mine, so I probably have a couple free books in there. I do like the return policy, nice. though. The return policy is kind of like no questions asked. We'll just get you a new book. Um, so I do like that, but yeah, I, I agree. I think there's probably probably more we can get for what we're paying with Amazon, but until we see another competitor, I'm sure it'll just be much of the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about it, um, as I was looking through audible, cause I go back and forth with my subscription with it because I mean, it is kind of pricey for what you get, and yeah, you know, it's one of those things where, man, it's just another subscription service, another thing that's taking money out of the bank every month. <laughs> and for anywhere between, you know, six to, I mean, if you're getting a long epic fantasy book, I mean, I guess you could get up to like twenty four hours worth. Now, of let of me ask you this: Would you pay?
1: Would you pay half the amount for air for Audible, but get no free books? Like you have to buy everything, but all the books are cheaper. So instead of paying whatever we pay a year, what is it like 14 or something 99 a month.
0: Yeah, 15 a month.
1: It's 15 a month, yeah. So instead of paying 15 a month, you pay $7 a month. But you don't get a free book every month like the current subscriptions like, but all the books are half the price. So instead of the new uh I don't know. Steam King book coming out being $20. It's
0: $10. Okay.
1: Would you be and more I guess would you like that better or would that be a more reasonable like
0: And where's your where's your, where's your where's your subscription money going? Just towards getting a discount?
1: Um uh it's a good
0: question. I would say your subscription money's probably to the originals and then discounts. To the
1: originals and then discounts, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I actually think I would prefer the credit model. Cause at least you're you're paying a you're paying a quote unquote discounted price on a premium product, but at the same time it's like that's still really expensive for mm. one audiobook a month. Though granted it's cheaper than an audiobook, but at the same time, it's like all right, we live in an era where I think uh, Houghton Mifflin has made enough money off Lord of the Rings that they could they could probably be okay relying on their new products. You know, right? <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Um, but hmm. yeah, I was just thinking about it. It's like, there's got to be a way to compete in this market uh, yeah. because I just I, I just think with the growth and popularity of podcasts and more people listening to things, I think that I I've talked to more people who are listening to audiobooks now and it could just be our age our stage of life but then yeah. then ever man like especially like back in the day like when you thought about someone who's listening to an audiobook, you know they went and they grabbed the the tapes or the cds and most of the times that was like a total nerd you yeah. know where yeah. where it's like now it's just kind of some people's preferred method of taking in a book or or oh yeah, um, yeah i mean some book. people say
1: i i read or i read this book last week and then you find out oh well that was just me listening to it so people right. are basically saying me listening to it is the equivalent of reading and i don't really see anything wrong with that because the audiobooks i listen to i remember more detail and more um like visual scenery from and events from than books that i've read fairly recently yeah so there is definitely a, for me at least like my memory works better with, with audio than it does visually yeah. reading. Although I do, it's funny because I prefer reading the physical book to listening, but I remember mm-hmm. more when I listen to it than when I read it, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I kind of go back and forth. I, I'm weird in the sense that I actually prefer to read fiction and listen to nonfiction, which seems really strange. Because mm. you would think like nonfiction you would rather read because you can take notes and write in the margins and all that stuff. Right, right. But for some reason or another, I'm able to visualize the story uh, a little bit better when I'm reading it. I still love listening to to audiobooks and stories and stuff like that. But um, a lot of times I'm doing something else while I'm listening to an audiobook. Right. So, so I'm not visualizing the story quite as much. But with something nonfiction that's information-centered, I can digest the information and kind of think through that stuff while I'm doing something else Hmm. Um, because it's not so much focused on painting this picture of a story, which, you know, that's just me. Maybe I'm weird.
1: I'm the exact opposite. I prefer to (laughs) listen to fiction and read nonfiction. That's hilarious. Not because I take notes, but because when I'm listening to nonfiction, like I'll start thinking about other things that pertain to what I'm learning from it. But then I totally forget or I don't, I didn't hear the last five minutes of what the guy was saying or the woman was saying on the audiobook. And then I have to go back and listen to it because it's more of like an information dump than it is like, here's a story that's happening and like the visualization and thinking of it's kind of part of the experience where for me, nonfiction, I kind of have to stop and then think about it. And then come back to it and I it's just difficult for me to listen to it and then also think about it at the same time.
0: Ah, man, that's so funny because we're complete opposites on that.
1: Yeah. Uh, but yeah.
0: anyway, just uh if you if you listen to this podcast, let us know. Let us know. Send us a comment. Send us uh, send us uh, something in uh, yeah. on our website, and, uh, and let us know. Are you a nonfiction or a fiction audio person? Let us know, and and we'll we'll uh, we'll kind of pull our audience, and we'll talk about that at a later date. But now it is time for us to get into our main topic of discussion. Today we have decided we're going to be talking about the Fellowship of the Ring, and for those of you who want to know how we're handling our main topics is we're not going to be reviewing the Fellowship of the Ring. We're really not going to be doing a deep dive analysis, but we're more focusing on talking about the our main focal story of the day and talking about how it's impacted us, why we think it's important, some of our favorite story moments, kind of reflecting on why we remember it, why we've enjoyed it, and talking about it from more of an experience side rather than an analytical side and the reality is is we're not really going to be looking at these discussions as whether or not we give a recommendation to you because I'll tell you right now, I'll recommend anyone <laughs> go read The Fellowship of the Ring. I don't need to talk for any amount of time uh, to to say, oh, yeah, I, I totally think anyone should check this out. Read it, watch it, whatever. Um, but we're just trying to go through, like, how have these stories impacted us? What are our memories around it and some of the experiences we've had with it in our own lives? and And just kind of like really appreciating what's been done. So Fellowship of the Rings. Zach, tell me a little bit about your first experience with it. Now, if you guys listen to our previous podcast, we did talk about the Lord of the Rings briefly in our first episode, um, about 20 or so minutes in. So if you want to listen to those stories, we'll try and tell you different stories now, but it might be a little similar as we dive into the Fellowship here. So Zach, what's your first experience with the Fellowship of the Rings? So I will say those who listen to the last one, they know
1: kind of how I went to the movies, but after telling that story and thinking about it later that week, my first actual like experience with Lord of the Rings was I saw the old cartoon version of fellowship of the rings on television pre like a prior year or somewhere sim- like close to that time when I went and saw it with my dad for the first time. And I remember, seeing that and I didn't really know it was Lord of the Rings I just saw that it was like this fantasy genre like thing on TV and it was all cartoons but it was like this style of cartoon that was kind of scary it was like almost lifelike cartoons and the the detail it wasn't how you think of um like Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z or some of the cartoons that are on TV now even it was there the I just remember the colors were a lot darker and the, the, the characters were um, a lot sharper and the, it just seemed a lot more real to me. Um, and I was, I remember thinking at the time, man, this is, this is kind of intense, whatever this show is. It's definitely not. Yeah. I didn't think it was for kids to be honest, because it was just, it was a darker look and I think they were in the minds of Moria. So that might've been why, but just that sticks in my brain um, of them, the hobbits kind of just wandering through the, the, the mines, and it was all dark, and I was like, man, this is not for kids. But anyways, you fast forward to when my dad finally was like, we're going to go see The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings. And he didn't tell me any more than that. It was just, we're going to go see this movie. So all for all I knew, there was only one movie, and it was this was the entirety of the story, was going to see this one movie, because that was, other than Star Wars, I had not been really exposed to series or sagas or anything. So... And I also didn't know what Lord of the Rings was. So I just thought this was, we're going to go see a fantasy movie. And then we show up at this rinky dink movie theater in Maslin, Ohio. And we go in, and everyone is dressed up in different characters from the movies. And I lost my mind. I thought, like, this, we were at the wrong place, or these people were crazy, or. A number of things, but I did not think we were about to see a movie. I, I was wondering what my dad had taken me to.
0: And I got a quick question for you. Quick question for you. Now, do you remember was this like around opening weekend? Or do you think like some of these people had already seen it and were going back for like another viewing? Do dude, you know? That's the
1: thing. I cannot I don't know if we went and saw it opening weekend or not. I it might okay. have been the thing is when it came to when any movie came to that movie theater, I feel like it has been out for like anywhere between six months to 10 years. Like it could be anywhere in that range. Like there was no rhyme or reason to showing movies at this movie theater. It was just whatever the guy who owned it felt like showing that weekend. So he, I it could have been like a month after it came out or the day of, or 10 years. Like it could have been anything, but it, it was probably closer to, to the time it came out because these people were dressed up and they were, they were super fans. They, yeah. And, and I remember that they, mainly dressed up like the orcs which i think i was 11 or 12 i was so young i can't remember when did fellowship come out 2001 so i was 11 so so i i was very kind of off put by these orcs (laughs) that these guys had chosen to dress and girls chose to to dress up in and they were doing chants and they were like yelling things from the book. And I didn't know any of it. So were, to me, it was just these people were just yelling things. And so then we go into the movie theater and we sit down. And it's the kind of movie theater where your your shoes stick to the floor. and But it smells, everything <laughs> smells like popcorn. And someone's awesome. like, someone's like drink from the previous showing is still in your seat. And they didn't really clean up anything. There's like, okay, more people get in here.
0: I got a question about this movie theater. Okay is was it like by any chance was was like the floor at an angle yes almost like yes almost it like was we were sitting in a bowl yes like, okay you felt like okay. you're
1: almost falling down when you're walking yeah. down your seat you were gonna fall down the the whole movie theater
0: yeah, I went to a theater like that when I was in Chicago. We used to call it the Trash Theater. So you could go see a movie for like three bucks. Which yeah. in Chicago at the time, it was like $12 for a movie. So we were at the Trash Theater all the time. The tra-
1: exactly, didn't matter what they were showing. <laughs> My family was the same way at this one. This was like our hometown movie theater. This was nice. This was Mass in Ohio movie theater. And so we watched this movie and the whole time I'm just in awe of the world the characters um i mean a lot of lord of the rings fellowship like how the movie starts even they kind of try to catch you up on what is going on currently in the world but there's still a lot of references that unless you read the book or knew something about lord of the rings you're kind of just okay i that's a thing i don't know what that is but we're moving on and so But even that didn't like hinder my experience because it just added to the the depth and the richness of this world that I was seeing on screen. And so I'm watching and everything. There's action and then there's slow parts, but the slow parts really aren't that boring. And that's saying something for an 11-year-old because they're still interesting and things are happening. And then you get to the end. And I just remember you get to the end and Sam and Frodo are looking over the rest of the way to get to mount doom you see mount doom way off in the distance and it's there's fire and there's mountains and then it fades to black and then the credits start rolling and i turned to my dad and i was like is that it my dad says i guess so and that was that was it that was the <laughs> end of the movie and i was like what there's so much left <laughs> like i have so many questions And I didn't know there was a trilogy at the time or at least one big book at the time. And so I was. my dad, I don't think, had either read it. I mean, he knew generally about it. I don't think he was a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So he didn't really know what happened next in the story. He just kind of generally knew how the whole thing ended. And so he couldn't really tell me much about what would happen next or where Frodo and Sam were even going to go or what happened to the rest of the fellowship. And so... I just remember until the next one came out, just feeling a little empty because I didn't know what was going on. But also just this is an awesome thing that I found, but I don't know how to start it. And then I remember trying to read the books at 11 and 12. And if you ever try to read Lord of the Rings, it's like reading poetry. So no 11 year old is really going to pick up Lord of the Rings. And just for me, at least I was not gung ho. Let's get let's read this poetic book it was just oh man okay i'm gonna be i'm gonna wait a while i'm gonna wait till i get a little older to to figure out this thing so yeah that was my my very my initial reaction and very first experience with lord of the rings was going to see that movie with my dad and kind of leaving there just amazed but also a little let down that i had no idea what's going on next and i didn't think that it would just end at the end where it, it did. So, um, but yeah, I mean, to, to say the least, it did not deter me from Lord of the Rings. If anything, it made me more of a fan because I wanted to learn more about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of similarities in my experience with it, but so do you remember, cause as a kid, it just, it feels like the fellowship of the ring should be too long of a movie for like a 10 or 11 year old kid to get through. But I remember not having, any problems with the length of it as a kid? Do you remember whether or not that was something for you? No. I I mean, my dad is the kind of person
1: to get up and leave a movie at some point and go to the bathroom and come back. And I just remember that no one left. Like, we, everyone stayed. My dad even stayed. We watched the whole thing. And it felt really quick to me. And that, that might be why yeah. that stands out because usually a longer movie where it has... Slower parts in the middle where you kind of need it to build character or kind of enrich the world. My dad will then leave and come back and still be able to catch up and know what's going on. But yeah, I just remember he did not leave the whole movie. So either he was just that captured by it. And I think it's like a two hour movie or two and a half hour movie. Maybe that's a little too long. Maybe it was a two hour movie. So it just, it did feel quick. And then, and there
0: Fellowship? are scholarships just- like a three hour movie. Is it
1: three? Yeah, not the not the extended edition.
0: I'm pretty sure, like the standard runtime of oh, Fellowship man. of the Rings, like three and a half hours.
1: Well, then that's a testament to how short I always think it is. Because it just, I I know even now when I watch it, I know what's coming next, and I know what's happening, and it still doesn't feel like a, a two and a half three hour movie. It, it just, yeah, it's just so well done that, um, I, even for an 11 year old, it didn't it didn't really feel like too too long of a run i don't know what did it feel like
0: for you yeah i remember just being to- it's two hours and 58 minutes is oh wow yeah three hours Ooh. Um, so a three hour film i remember just as a kid being totally glued to the screen um so so for me i came into this movie highly anticipating it because uh i mentioned this in the last podcast i had Already read The Hobbit as a kid. It was it was a story that I had read in anticipation of the Fellowship of the Ring. But The Hobbit was a a very familiar story within my house. We used to watch the I think it was Franken and Bass that did the the cartoons. I think they were the people who did the cartoons. If I have that wrong, um, I'll retroactively correct (laughs) that in the next episode. And so I used to watch those cartoons. Uh, My brothers were really into the cartoon. And I remember my brother, uh, my older brother had a copy of The Hobbit. And I remember reading that in anticipation of The Lord of the Rings because I had a friend who was, I had two friends growing up who, uh, one of them you've never met, but you know, you know, my buddy Austin. Yeah. Um, And, and these two guys, their parents were really into making them read. And my friend Austin in particular, that, that kid was like well beyond his years in, in reading. And I remember the, uh, my one friend's mom had said, oh, these movies are coming out. There's some of my favorite stories and you guys have to read these books. And I remember this like clearly in my memory, being at a bookstore with my my mom back when borders was still a thing, ah yes, and and seeing this big poster for the Fellowship of the Ring, and it was the the four hobbits, it was Frodo, Pippin, Mary, and Sam, kind of standing in that circle on top of the uh, Weathertop. That mm. that I'm sure if you think about it, you can see that photo in your head of the three of the four hobbits kind of circling around, ready to defend themselves against the Black Riders. And I remember seeing that poster and then they had all these books under it. And I told my mom, I was like, mom, I heard that these are books like that we have to read. And supposedly they're sequels to The Hobbit. Like as a kid, I didn't know The Hobbit had sequels. I didn't know that the story went on after The Hobbit. And so I had convinced my parents to get me all of these books. And Mm -hmm. I remember reading The Hobbit and loving The Hobbit and then trying to get into The Fellowship of the Ring. And I had a really hard time with it. Um, the the beginning of the book Fellowship of the Ring now is one of my favorite openings to a story ever. Hmm. but as as a 10 year old, it was really hard to get into. like yeah. it is it is not like straight into the action. It's not something that's trying to draw you in through typical techniques of writing, but is it sets the stage so well of how you're going to see, these characters transform so much because you're right. seeing hobbits which are very simple people, happy people, you know the first chapter's all about a big party and yeah.
1: it's a very agrarian <laughs> society which you're yeah. 11 year old you, you're like farmers are boring.
0: Yeah. Like I was I was like where's the dragons? Where's the killing? What's <laughs> yeah. going what's going on? This first chap what this first chapter's 29 pages long. <laughs> this writing's really small. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know about this. But, um, I was really excited for the movies still because my two friends actually did make it through the books. And as, as like fifth graders, I think we were, they're like saying, Oh, this is a great story. And I was like, I just can't make it through. Mm. So anyway, the movies come out, my dad takes me to the movie and I remember watching this film and I, I, I think the Lord of the Rings, uh, as i mentioned in the first podcast is my favorite book series uh, including the hobbit i think the hobbit actually is probably one of my favorite singular stories of all time mm. and in the lord of the rings book series is, is is my favorite trilogy but um how old were rem- you when you read the hobbit i was i was 10 i think yeah 10 cuz it was yeah. made
1: for kids right it was yeah. it was written for like as a, like a fairy tale almost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually, uh, in the making of the fellowship of the ring, I have all those making of DVDs. There is a letter, uh, written from Tolkien to his publisher about the idea of the Hobbit being targeted at like eight to 10 year old kids. Like that was his target audience, which now you read the Hobbit and you're like, Oh yeah, that's like a junior high reading level. But Tolkien's, (laughs) idea of audience members at the time was 8 to 10 year old kids kind of uh in the form of bedtime stories and so read the hobbit loved that uh and i think what helped with the hobbit too reading it as a kid was being able to visualize the story happening cuz i was so familiar with that cartoon cuz mm. i'd seen it a few times and i do think that helps with kids in particular in reading a book that might be more challenging is if you have seen the movie first you can at least visualize a little bit and start making those connections to the scenes in the movie, to what's going on in the book. Um now I'm at the stage in life where I, I hate watching the movie before the book, and maybe we can talk about that. Really? <laughs> at, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I hate watching the movie first. Um mm. because I can never if I watch the movie first, I can never imagine it in my own unique imagination. It's really hard to, right? Because the characters, you see them as the film characters. You right, see yeah. the scenes play out as the film plays them out. You see and, Orlando
1: Bloom as, as Legolas.
0: Yeah, I have, I have really fought in my imagination to make Legolas look uh, completely <laughs> different than Unless Orlando Bloom. Bloom yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I saw the movie uh, with my dad. It was one of those things where I didn't really completely understand all the ins and outs of the narrative. Like Mm. when you think about the fellowship of the ring, it really is a movie that it has a lot of, it has a lot of its details explained in exposition that you can miss out on. If you're not paying close attention, like who the black Riders are, what the Nazgul are, what they actually are. You kind of have to be paying attention to really kind of connect the fact that they are the nine men who were given the rings? Who were fallen? Who gave themselves over to Sauron and his service? Um, and I remember as a kid being like, "What the heck are these black riders? When <laughs> when are they gonna take? When are they gonna take their hoods off? Are they?" Yeah. ghosts? Are they like? And but I just remember the actual visual storytelling in The Fellowship of the Ring is so good. Like mm. even when you might be lost or confused, the scenes are so beautiful. The costume design is incredible. There's always something to appreciate on screen. And, you know, I've talked to you about this before, Zach, but The Minds of Moria is my favorite. Um, The Long Dark is my favorite chapter in The Fellowship of the Ring, my favorite sequence in all of the movies. I just love that classic, just dungeon crawl type of a setting and just being in darkness, not really knowing the threats that are around you, having a little bit of light to travel. And I remember as a kid watching that scene and like my heart was pumping the whole time. Cause you know, I was, I was pretty easily scarable and I actually did think that the orcs and the goblins were kind of scary looking as a kid. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And, and they have appeared in my nightmares from time to time, you know, especially growing up, like mm-hmm. getting chased by orcs <laughs> and stuff never prevented me from watching the movies, but it's also as a dad been a reason why I haven't shown my kids Lord of the Rings yet. You know, yeah. they're really small and that could be kind of terrifying. <laughs> yes, so, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, uh, I remember watching the movie, loving that scene and just, uh, at the end, when they go to amon hen and they fight all those orcs off and then aragorn slices uh the the orcs head off at the end of the film yeah i remember that was the first time i was in a movie theater ever where the crowd like broke out into applause (laughs) and started clapping and rooting you know because aragorn cut this guy's head off and you know cheering like you were really there and it was awesome, and then when the movie ends, I, re- I remember being as a kid after sitting in a movie theater for three hours, being so disappointed that it was over. I was like, "Wait a minute, this this it's over." Yeah, <laughs> I want more. And and that's kind of been um, my experience with with Fellowship of the Ring, my first experience, and then kind of going forward, Lord of the Rings is one of those stories where I'm so glad it's not being added to like yeah. Star Wars is being added to and that the story is done and complete. But right. I'm also sad about it. It's like, I do kind of want to know a little bit more because it's and not you know, the Tol same King when gives you go back.
1: Answers. It's not the same when you go back through like some of the other books that have come out, um, like children of Haran and, um, some of the other ones that like his son has come out, um, writing mm-hmm. where you kind of, you, you explore different parts of the world but it's not this. It's it's not the same story. And um, I I also I agree with you. Like I appreciate that it's a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's all complete now. And no one really wants to add to the original story. They want to just kind of build off the world, the original story, like created. And what I also loved about Lord of the Rings as I grew up, like grew older and started to understand it more, was. And a friend of mine brought this up to me too how, like, this he created this vast world where this one event, this one story that is known as Lord of the Rings, was just one historical moment in this vast country of historical moments because, yeah, they they reference things that have happened in the past, things that might happen in the future. They, they even, even in the Lord of the Rings, they they kind of reference the Hobbit, which. If I'm correct, was it, the, wasn't The Lord of the Rings written first and then The Hobbit? Or how was it? Because I know he had to go back and kind of retro some of the things he wrote in The Hobbit.
0: Yeah, The Hobbit was written first. Okay, that's what it was. But um, the thing that was retroactively changed was Bilbo's interaction with Smeagol was different in the original publish, publication of The Hobbit, which I would love to track down a copy of that. I can't speak to what the difference was, but um you know, that's something we should look into. Cause we should talk about the Hobbit on this podcast at some point too. For sure. Um and and look into that. But I know it has something to do with Bilbo's interaction with Gollum in uh in Riddles in the Dark that there was a difference in the way that it was originally published in the first publishing run of The Hobbit. Then when he thought about The Lord of the Rings, he kind of retroactively changed some of that stuff and then went back and rewrote how that pans out in The Hobbit. It's like a small thing. I'm yeah. I remember.
1: So, yeah, it is a significant part of the story, though, to retroact later because it's kind of how The Ring comes into existence in the world um, when you're looking back at... hobbit and they kind of explain it in lord of the rings how it comes to be but um yeah it was to me i i I remember that um that he he went back and changed part of the hobbit to to kind of fit the storyline of of lord of the rings which i thought was 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 really cool because he wanted to tell a a consistent story and kind of have his world be consistent throughout
0: yeah, I think that that was something that just kind of needed to happen because I think it has something to do with wanting to paint the picture of Bilbo being like a little less villainous in the Riddles in the Dark because I mm. think there was something I don't know if he killed Gollum in the original writing or that was implied. I can't remember. I don't want to I don't want to give information that we we aren't accurate with, but it had right. something to do with that. So, as as we talk about Fellowship here, we talked about the first time that we saw it or were exposed to it, and I remember reading the books for the first time. I read through all the books in uh, my freshman year of high school, so it was sometime after the movies had come out. I had seen all the movies, and then I was like, "I've got to go back and read these books." I, in my heart, I'm I'm the kind of guy who I'm a little bit of a purist. If I see an adaptation, or I hear about reboots or stuff like that, I'm always more interested in finding out what's the actual source material here. And so I remember going back and reading through all this stuff as a as a ninth grader, and that kind of sparked a renewed interest in the, the story for me of The Lord of the Rings. But I remember specifically in Fellowship of the Ring that as I read through it, the parts that used to really bore me in it when I was younger are now some of my favorite parts. And one of my favorite things now is I love the, I love the many meetings chapter where, uh, Frodo, this is not in the, the movies by the way, but there is a part where Frodo kind of meets a whole bunch of different people in, rivendell and he kind of has all these discussions with them and it does a really good job of world building he has a conversation with gloin who kind of talks about what's going on with the dwarves and what has happened since bilbo's adventure and then he has a conversation with bilbo about what he's been up to since he left the shire and he, he talks to him about some poetry he's written and it's really cool interaction because it does a really neat job of world building. And then you have the Council of Elrond after that. And that's one of my favorite parts now. But I remember the first time being exposed to it, I was like, oh my gosh, when are we going to get to the mines of <laughs> When are we going to get to killing some orcs? When are we going to get to some high stakes adventure? But now I really appreciate the, uh, the explanation of the world building because that also is where we find out why the eagles couldn't just drop the ring in Mordor yes. because that, you know, Tolkien thought about that and writes it in like Elrond is talking and is like, that's not their character. They're not going to get involved with this stuff. And anyways, like, for
1: all you people uh, out there that say, why not just fly the eagles in? They do address that. They do talk about yep. that in the books.
0: Yeah. Cause they're wild creatures and it's not it They're, yeah. they're trying to a giant the eagle the world.
1: You tried naming
0: them. Yeah, you tried saying, Hey, drop this ring in that volcano. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what? Go drop the ring in the volcano.
1: What did you think of the language of the books when you started reading them as a freshman in high school?
0: Yeah, I thought that um, compared to what we were reading on the pop fiction side of things with Harry Potter, it was very slow moving and kind of written in such a way where Tolkien intentionally wrote it to make it sound more dated than it even was for its time in contemporary fashion. But I remember kind of having a hard time with it, especially the poetry I had a hard time with the the songs and the poetry, just from yes. the perspective of like not wanting to read it.
1: Yeah. He he was big on the songs and poetry in these, in the books. And I just remember even now reading it, just description of things where he really liked to describe things and it was just so rich the language is so rich and and deep when you're reading it that when I tried reading it when I was 11 or 12 it was like reading Shakespeare even though like I knew what was happening kind of from seeing the first movie I I put it down very quickly because it was it was way above my reading level and then when I picked it up again which was my Sad to say, it was my my junior year of high school in our AP English class was my next interaction with Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. And once again, I tried to start reading it and I got a little farther this time. I got about halfway through. But because of the test, we had to take those those reading tests. <laughs> yes. I was like, I can't, I'm not going to be able to finish this for sure because this it's an investment. But as I... Was, I seen the movie. I had seen the movie many times up to that point. So I, I felt very confident that I knew at least the major events, um, going into our test. And, uh, little did I know that there's a lot in the books that, that they don't put in the movies because it is, I, I failed that test very, very hard, very fair, very fair failing. <laughs> I, I should have read the book. Um, but that was my next interaction with Lord of the Rings fellowship of the ring was, taking that test in AP English. And I remember after that test, I thought to myself, I really need to just kind of take it upon myself and finish these books. Just read all three of them, not because of a test or not because of anything, but just I really did enjoy reading it while I was reading it. It just, the the test kind of put a time limit on my reading and at the time I was high schooler, so, I found every excuse to not really read all too much. But um especially if it was for class then there was every other excuse to not read if it was reading for class yeah uh, but um I remember that I had to. I, I was like I need to start reading this because this is a monument of not just literature but of, of fantasy which is one of my favorite genres of literature so I that's when I started reading through them and I've only made it through the first two if I'm being honest here I've only ever made it through I've almost made it to the end of the third one I'm still working on it but the first two are the only only two books that I've read through um and I've read the first one probably two or three times because I and whenever I start over or I'm like okay I need to read the the series I start back at book one again and then work my way and try to get a little farther with book three
0: yeah I I have read the fellowship of the ring more times than I've read any other book I haven't read it as many times as I've seen the movie. But at this point, I think I've read through the book four times. I've listened to the audio book one time. And uh, so, yeah, that's like five times going through the complete story. Uh, I just love it. And I've told you this before. It is my favorite part of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Even if even if you think about how fellowship of the ring concludes even though there's that cliffhanger on the end it still feels like a complete adventure at least for that segment it wasn't like an obnoxious cliffhanger it's like the it's almost like the perfect place to leave a story to have a sequel because mm. you had you had the the story arc right the the rise to conflict and climax and then the dip off and then kind of like tailing off and leaving you uh more conflict to anticipate but I love the I love the the leaving of your home meeting new people coming together with different people and working together and then eventually having to split up and go your own ways it's Mm -hmm. actually kind of um, how many many fantasies have formulated their storytelling going forward it's it's so like when you think of the actual playthrough of how fellowship of the ring works so many fantasies follow that same formula that you almost mm. feel like oh the fellowship of the ring just follows this trope but at the same time tolkien kind of set that standard yeah. which is really really neat and i think it's it's one of the uh one of one of the best adventure stories uh, i think the best chapter the best portion of the lord of the rings And, uh, definitely if you've never read the books, you definitely have to read that one because it's also, I think probably the most different from the films than what you see, uh, play out on screen. And I think also this is going to sound strange as well. I also think that the fellowship of the ring is the best film, but there's so much that had to be left out of the journey because there's just certain things you can't do in a movie. Right. Um, but. Yeah, there's quite
1: a few characters you don't meet in the movie version of the story that you meet in the book version. And some of those characters are some of my favorite characters in the entire trilogy. And they're only in book Mm -hmm. one. And they get left out of the movie. But they're like Tom Bombadil is one of my absolute favorite characters. And he's he does not At least does he make it into the extended edition? I can't. No. Quite remember, okay, yeah. So he doesn't no. make it in at all, which he's one of my absolute favorite characters in the entire series. Just yeah, kind of, like joyful, like just free spirited person running around the woods. um Right. He was always yeah. We he was he was one, and then um Radagast was was another one that yeah. You don't get to really meet until when they did the Hobbit movies. You get to know who he is, but he gets talked about a lot, and I think they do meet him in the book. Um, early on. Yeah,
0: but- yeah, Radagast is mentioned in uh, Gandalf's retelling of the events at the Council of Elrond. Right. So Gandalf talks about his encounter with Radagast and he talks about uh, things that happened at Dol Gildur and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, Radagast is in there. He's mentioned in there. Uh, he's even mentioned by Saruman. Saruman kind of makes fun of him in the books. But, yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah. Yeah, there are some
0: characters you don't meet and then certain characters whose personality is different in the books than they are in the movies. Like I would say that Aragorn is very, very different in the books than he is in the movies. I would say that uh, Gimli is very, very different in the books than he is in the movies. But both of those characters, even though they're different in the adaptations, I actually think that the way that they work from film to to uh, book is is interesting because they actually work well in the ways that Peter Jackson decided to take those characters. Slightly different, but at the same time, it worked for film. And, hmm. and I, I appreciated that about what Peter Jackson did. And one thing I'll say is now that I've read the books a handful of times and experienced the story in that fashion, it's still my preferred way to enjoy the Lord of the Rings, especially the Fellowship, but if it wasn't for those movies, I I very well would may never have experienced those, and may never have given the books a chance. And so, people who like to go and and bash Jackson's work on the Lord of the Rings because it's very very different, especially once you get to Two Towers and Return of the King, then yeah, yeah, um, kind of how the books played out, um, the the thing that's great about them is that they're still a great film trilogy they adapt lord of the rings in a way that is very very successful on the screen it might not necessarily be the story you wanted as a big fan of the books but it's a very successful story for film right as you can see by the awards and the money they made (laughs) so so, yes. yeah, that's one thing you got to appreciate. Uh, no matter what you think about the movies, it's it created and, a lot of fans.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say is that it was in it was a gateway for a lot of young fans to share in the excitement and the love that the adults at the time who going to see the movie may have already read the books, knew who Tolkien was, or at least was familiar with that fantasy fantasy genre. Um, it was a way for us kids to get into it. And because of those movies, I started to read the books. And because of those movies, I started playing the video games and wanting to like understand more about the world and like to really immerse myself in Lord of the Rings. And I probably would not have, honestly, I probably would not have done that if I tried to pick up Fellowship of the Ring and started reading that at 15. I might've thought, well, this is too much. This is. Like, I don't yeah. want to read Shakespeare in my spare time. I want, I want to read something a lot less enrich <laughs> and a lot <laughs> simpler. So yeah, I, I I really am thankful for the movies because they did a great job of blending the language of Lord of the Rings. Because um, a lot of times they'll use kind of that higher English language, um, that more like refined talk. But then when they talk to each other, it's very like down to earth. Like, we can understand, but there'll be moments of you can hear the lines from the book in the movie and like they're not, he does a great job with the script that if you're just watching it, you just kind of notice it. But like, I think he did an awesome job of blending the book in with the script for the movie to make it all a cohesive, a cohesive thing. So um, I, I really kind of owe the movies to my, to my love of, lord of the rings because without them i probably would not have started reading them
0: yeah yeah and a big contributor in my love for fantasy as well and we'll get we'll we'll have to talk about that um how both of us love fantasy and how each of us got there because my path to it was highly influenced by lord of the rings highly influenced by uh, certain video games, certain stories. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to talk about, I know I have it on my list I sent to you. We'll have to talk about the Dragonlance Chronicles at some point. Oh, yes. <laughs> those those are super influential. Not necessarily up there in the upper echelon with Lord of the Rings, but uh, they have their place. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think one of the last things I want to say here as we're kind of reflecting on the Fellowship of the Ring and the impact was that uh, what, what Fellowship did for me as well is it kind of created this connecting point for me and a bunch of friends because everyone was into it. Everyone was super, super into it in a time where, you know, Star Wars kind of felt like it was for my brother's generation, like my older brothers. And though that's timeless and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, great, it felt like Lord of the Rings kind of. When it came out, who it was really appealing to, it kind of was a nice franchise, like the film franchise, to be something that connected like a bunch of, you know, preteen and teen boys to love these like epic fantasy adventures. <laughs> and, you know, I actually think it's because of the success of Lord of the Rings in 2001 to 2003 why Game of Thrones was able to be successful on HBO when it had its successful run. Because I guarantee you, most of Game of Thrones' huge fans were around our age when Lord of the Rings hit the big screen in 2001 to 2003. And it was almost like, okay, now you guys are grown up. Here's your grown-up version of this fantasy. Mm. And we all know that the song of Fire and Ice was out way before Game of Thrones hit HBO. But, uh... Martin had to have been influenced by Tolkien. There's no way he wasn't. Right. Um,
1: right. That's a so good point. That's kind
0: though. of something I think about.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point of, of a lot of these people that enjoy Game of Thrones probably either had influences or are now reaping the benefits of someone who was influenced by, no doubt, Lord of the Rings. Um, at least in one aspect. So um yeah for me lord of the rings um i re i really appreciate it because um it was my first real dive into full-blown high fantasy um and it it made me hungry for more fantasy other world elements because this was before i'd even read um like chronicles of narnia um this was bright when Harry Potter came out. So that was like kind of getting into the full swing of things. But um, it was my first foray into high fantasy elves and wizards and warriors and all those tropes that now kind of um, have been overused at times. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever, ever seen those. And um, a lot of those tropes Tolkien invented or at least. Took from different mythologies and made him more prominent. Yeah. So um, he he made those into <laughs> what we now kind of like. Okay, that's the orc in the group, or that's the the paladin or the the knight of the group. Like he was the yeah. one that that started that movement. And um, for me, it was it was it was impactful because it opened up a whole new realm of of story possibilities and worlds uh, for me to consume.
0: Yeah. I agree. It's, uh, it's something I'm very thankful for. I mean, I'll always be willing to talk about Lord of the Rings and Fellowship of the Ring uh, with anybody at any time, and it connects people. That's what's awesome about these stories is that when you really like them, you can connect with them, you get to know them well, it causes connecting points, right? So you can have a podcast about it or you can talk with people about it. You know, one of my most frustrating criticisms is about the Lord of the Rings as a whole is when people say, it's just a story about walking. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. come on. We know there's a lot of walking, yes. but let's be honest. It's fantastic. Not ah, too much walking. Oh man. Okay. You're going to be that person, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you're not appreciating the journey then. It's, right.
0: Exactly that's what an adventure is. It's it's about the walking, like yeah. what what happens during that walking. Yeah. But I th- I think we've had a good discussion here about fellowship of the ring. At this point in our podcast, we want to transition and talk about a few things on our minds that are happening within pop culture or or what we're calling the popular crowd segment of it. And Zach, you mentioned here something that I didn't even, I didn't even know you were into um this series. Yes. But but I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this new entry in yeah. a very very popular intellectual property.
1: Yes, yes. Um so I I got into so computer gaming um Steam, all that stuff. I got into uh, during college and I played this game that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. It's called um, Half Life, and I only ever played Half Life Two. So, for those Half Life diehards who know all the lore and they know everything, and they know how it connects to the game Portal and all this stuff. Like, please forgive me because I'm not into it that much. I just very much enjoyed the story and the acting and um, the visuals of the game, but. The probably the the most prominent thing that drew me to it was that storytelling aspect. It was just this cool. You are this quiet, nameless character. So you play this character called Gordon Freeman, and he's he's a quiet first person character. So you kind of embody Gordon. So whatever you do is what Gordon Freeman is. And so you just take him through, and you're this um, you're like a scientist that um, basically is tasked with bringing down um, this organization that is kind of like running these tests on people. And it's this dystopian world and you, you have these cool futuristic gadgets that um, you find along the way that help you defeat the bad guy at the end. Um, But the, the way the story is told through the acting and the characters and the way the world is built, where it's this dystopian sci-fi um world i I really enjoyed and uh, from my understanding is valve came out with half-life 2 when the technology for computers needed kind of like a kick so we you got to like this point with technology um and gaming that was kind of at a standstill and then valve came out with half-life 2 which kind of just sent gaming into this whole new realm it kind of was like the marker you can kind of see this distinct marker between games before Half-Life 2 and then after where they adopt a lot of the acting and the storytelling and the especially the visuals um, for for gaming after Half-Life 2 and so that for me was amazing and so now as of last week Valve has released Half-Life Alex, which is interesting in a lot of ways and I'm, I'm going to be somewhat brief but Um, the first way that it's interesting is forever, forever, people wanted Half Life 3. Since Half Life 2 came out, the crowd, the people have been sitting here waiting for Half Life 3. Like, memes have been created, like, petitions signed, like, anything you could do civilly and maybe sometimes uncivilly, like, has been done to get Half Life 3 out. And for years, Valve would release a game and it would be everything but Half-Life 2. And so it became this joke that Half-Life 3 or sorry, it was everything but Half-Life 3. And it became this joke that like Half-Life 3 is just never going to get made. It was uh, what's the word for it? It's like um uh, there's a there's a word for like technology that is a concept but it's not coming out. Um I can't slip in my mind, but it basically became this thing where it just it was never going to come out. And so they finally come out with Half-Life Alex last week in the trailer for it, at least not not the actual game. And the trailer is awesome. It is everything that I like about Half-Life and Valve and storytelling that Valve does. The thing that I don't like is that it seems like a pitch for VR, virtual reality. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the issue I take with this and what makes me hesitant because first of all, Half-Life Alex isn't technically Half-Life 3. It takes place between it takes place between Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2. So it's like Half-Life 1.5. So it's not technically the continuation of the story. Secondly, like they're really selling this VR that Valve is coming out with. And Valve has always said, we will not release another Half-Life video game until the technology is new or the new technology is at a point that we are satisfied and we feel like we can release this game because they like marking technological advances within video games with Half-Life games, which is cool. But if you want a story that like gets told and finished, you're kind of waiting on people to come out with some cool technology. So VR is the new thing. So virtual reality, you're basically becoming the character even more than Gordon freeman was which was kind of a cool thing to do already was make this silent character that you control completely from a first person point of view but now they're coming out with a vr which is you're really embodying this character and the graphics and sound and acting and presentation everything looks awesome but i'm somewhat worried that valve is gonna sell their new because that's the, the the whole pitch behind it is Valve's coming out with a new virtual reality device that you're going to need to buy in order to play Half-Life Alex.
0: Yeah. And and I haven't looked into Half-Life Alex system requirements at all, but I'm curious if it, it's going to be a hefty load on a PC to play that game in VR because you know, VR as it stands, you have to have a pretty decent machine to play kind of what's out there now. And I saw the trailer for half-life Alex and I was like, this is a really good graphics. Pretty, pretty good for a VR game. Very much better than the other things I've seen VR wise. And you know, I I was really disappointed when I found out it was a virtual reality game. Yeah, um, because yeah. I've played I've played Half Life two. I've never finished Half Life two, and I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a diehard Half Life fan. But I really felt for Half Life fans when I was like, oh man, it's a it's a VR game. <laughs> like it's,
1: it's VR. I know <laughs> it
0: it doesn't feel like a sequel. And VR is not there yet to where I think it's standard for most gamers. And I understand, you know, at some point it's. You know the next technological advancement is going to have to cause people to move into it, right? So VR at some point they want it to be a standard, I think. Yeah, yeah, but it's not there yet, and there's just there's something about taking away my surroundings from me completely that I'm just uncomfortable with too. Like wearing a virtual reality headset's not something I really want to do. Yeah, it's oh, a bit t- at home.
1: It's a bit too immersive for me. I it I maybe I sound like an old. Grumpy gamer, but I I really just want a video game. I can just sit down, click with my mouse and keyboard or a controller, and just kind of go through it and be told a good story and have some fun. I don't, I don't, it saddens me that in order for me to play the next chapter in Half Life, I have to buy a whole nother rig. At least for now, they might release it where you don't have to buy it, but for now, you have to get. A virtual reality set and then mm-hmm. then you'll be allowed to play this next edition which for me i'm like man that stinks because like i i don't know if i am super super sold or would have played half-life alex if it came out to steam i probably would have but i've read, i would have been more inclined to play it as a normal game than i would have in a vr now i'm like 70% chance I'm not going to ever play that game yeah. <laughs> whereas it probably yeah. would have been flipped if it was just a normal steam game
0: yeah I totally hear you on that and, and me too I have like a decent I have a decent pc here and for for me I'm like do I really want to get a vr headset for half-life alex or or even really any of the vr games like I just I'm not sure how much I even care to have one right now and I don't think it's so much being a grumpy old gamer i think there is something with being totally immersed in a game to a point of where it's an electronic experience but you're totally blinding yourself out to all your surroundings like there's just something Hmm. to that for me where i like the fact that if i'm playing a game like i can pause it and do something like like you know what i'm saying like i can be aware of the fact that oh Hey, you know, I can, you know, with a VR headset, it's like, oh, you got to take the headset off. You got to pause the game. You got to, you know, basically <laughs> take yourself completely out of it to the point of where it's like, you don't just want to come back, sit down and play. Like, it's just, it sounds like a headache. Yeah. <clears throat> now I haven't really done much VR myself, but to me, that's just what it sounds like. Yeah. And
1: yeah. seems like a lot of work. Yeah. And-, and,
0: and I like the idea of the technology. I'm like, oh man, this is cool what they're able to do now. But at, for me, it's just, it's not to the point of where I want to, I want to move yeah. into that yet. And it kind of gets down
1: to like the, the, the theory or the, the philosophy of when we were kids do, did I really ever want to be in that world or did I just enjoy stepping into it kind of from afar and playing it? Cause I don't really know if I'd ever want to be in a call of duty video game to be honest, but I enjoyed playing call of duty a lot or even yeah. Halo when I was younger, but do I want to throw on a VR set and become master chief? And I don't know. I don't know. To me, that's to me. It's, it's not enhancing the experience at all for me. At least for me, I'm I'm like, I, I enjoyed the game because the game was awesome. Not because I was immersed into it, but I don't, maybe with VR gets to a point where it is that all encompassing experience. um, Maybe I would get a rig, but, but yeah. now I'm 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 perfectly fine just hanging back, playing a video game on a screen.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, I probably won't check it out. I'll uh, skip <laughs> Half Life Three ever Sorry. comes out. You know, I think there was. I think I just counted them on Wikipedia here. I think that Valve has released. I think it was ten ten games. No, this is including my yes. like DLCs and stuff. Ten games since Half Life Two's come out. <laughs> yes, yes. <And laughs> so I really feel for the super fans out yeah. there. Yeah,
1: I'm not even a super fan. I'm just like, man, I feel for the super fans. But I would also really like to see the next part of this game, like the true yeah. next part, not yeah, not a prequel. But yeah, with you, you have something that we were talking about earlier here. Yeah, um, some yeah. some audio audio books
0: yeah i um I started to listen to this podcast. I've been trying to expand the type of things that I take in, whether it's reading, whether it's watching, whether it's listening and so I decided to check out the um the fictional podcast series called Hunted. The reason I kind of wanted to do this one is the number one it came up is like the most one of the more popular new and great apps uh new podcasts I'm sorry. Uh, and I was also interested because I saw Dick Wolf's name on it, and I was like, hey, this is the, <laughs> this is the uh, CSI ga- guy. So for the next couple minutes, I keep saying CSI when I really meant to be saying Law & Order. Sorry about that for those of you who are huge fans of CSI and or Law & Order and that I mixed up those two intellectual properties. Sometimes after an hour and a half of talking, you just have brain lapses. But thanks for understanding this is, dude's like a legend and so uh, so anyway i started listening to it and it's like the production quality on this is amazing it's it's super good it's basically like it's it's a season of csi if you if you've never uh, watched csi or svu or anything like that they're just crime dramas there's typically a crime that they're trying to solve and there's going to be a bunch of twists and turns they're going to try and make it resolved in such a way you didn't expect. Subvert your expectations, you know, the whole sleight of hand yeah, thing that happens in storytelling. But anyway, I'm listening to it, and I thought it was going to be like an audio series with, with a narrator. Come to find out this is an audio drama. Mm. I've never been a huge fan of audio dramas, and, and here's why. I think in some ways it's uh, it's weird for your senses to have all of this audio thrown at you to try and give you a picture of what's going on, but never really be able to see it. It's really, it's a weird sensory experience. Now I know audio dramas have been around for a really long time, but I don't know if you feel this way about, audio dramas. But for me, it's like a weird sensory experience. And that could be because I'm like listening to this thing while I'm at work and I'm like hearing gunshots and sirens in the background and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is really weird because I think it's really kind of meant to like sit down on your couch and turn on and, you know, maybe light a candle and, you know, put your PJs on and, and listen and, and then escape to a new world. But when you when you're doing something else, when you're working, it's like, oh, this is kind of like my heart rate is going <laughs> up, but I don't feel like it should be. I'm
1: feeling something here. Yeah,
0: but but what I will say is the story is is pretty interesting, and it's got that that like, okay, tell me what's going to happen next. I want to know what's going to happen next. All right, you know, they they do the cliffhanger thing right. But as I was listening to this, I I had the question in my head, and uh, you know we we'll discuss this here for a second because I want to know your take on it. Is do I prefer a audio drama or i prefer like an audio narrative or an audio book mm. and i think that i prefer listening to a narrator tell me the story in an audio experience don't get me wrong i love films love movies mm. love tv series i love the that engaging type of experience but when i'm just listening to something i kind of like hearing that singular narrator tell me the story i'm cool with audio cues and a little bit of inflection and you know, getting into the story, trying to immerse you in that way, even like sound effects and stuff to a minimal degree, but I think the audio drama might not be for me.
1: mm, that's interesting because i hmm I'm trying to think because I don't have too much experience with audio dramas, but when I have listened to it it's it's usually it's usually like. A bit too much for me to the point where I don't really like hearing people's footsteps as they're walking. Like if if they're going somewhere, I just kind of assume and I don't need to hear everything that's going on. But I did listen to and I will say this, and this is why I'm kind of on the fence, because I did listen to an audio drama that was on Audible that was about um alien like like the movie alien and it had all the characters from the original movie in alien but the the story was really great it wasn't too much like going on sound effects wise but the atmosphere was perfect it was everything you think of when you think of alien and the sounds and the kind of the hissing and like the the steam and the 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 spaceships and kind of that dull rumble that you always hear when you're when you're like in an airplane or something so you felt like you're actually in the spaceship with them and when they would go hunting for the alien because it gets loose in their ship you you just you feel that tension and it was the first time I don't know why I would do this but when I was working out I would listen to it and I'd be like in between some of the sets and I'd be listening to it and my heart would still be going because I'm, I'm like, there's hunting for the alien. You can hear it rolling around in the rafters and you can hear them like kind of coming a little closer and then running away. And I just remember listening to it at the gym and just be like, man, I, I can't listen to this anymore here. This is like, I'm, I feel like I'm working out in between my sets. Like it's just too much. Right. So that was my first great experience with audio drama. And Ever since I've kind of been a little hooked if I'm going to be honest. I I I think they've come a long way. I think some of the podcasts that do it it's hit or miss. Um sometimes it's a little too much, but I think there's there's a balance that you can strike in an audio drama that makes me feel like I'm I'm listening to like a show. And mm. I think that's a cool art form to bring to life a show that's completely an auditory experience. And, yeah. um, so I, I've, after all that, I think I'm more on the side of, I, I do enjoy audio dramas. I don't listen to them all that much, but when I do, I, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoy them right now. I know before yeah. I, I didn't, I think they were still kind of finding their way in the podcast world, but I think because podcasting technology and acting and everything has kind of exploded. I, I think you're getting a higher quality product now that um that really does the genre justice.
0: Yeah. And and I will say that I think that what I've listened to is good. It's quality, like the quality is great. Um my my thing was like do I like the sensory experience? But I think I am able to put into words a little bit better what my what my issue is after listening to what you said. So, I think the problem is, is if it feels like it is like a movie or a television show, except you're just not watching the screen, then that's probably a little too much. Mm. But, if the medium's taken advantage to the point of where it's like, this only really works well as an audio drama, then I think it could be really effective. You know, like, like you mentioned, like the footsteps and all that stuff is a little overboard. You know? Yeah, the, yeah. And you know even like there's this one part where it's like obviously the guy's got money that he wants the cashier to put in the bag and there's like this really loud bag ruffling and <laughs> the microphone and it's like okay we get it you know yeah, i
1: got it yep yep
0: you gotta put the money in the bag i get it <laughs> um but, like with something like Alien, for example, I could see that. And, you know, we've, we were actually kind of talking a little bit about an idea I had before the podcast. But I could see something like Alien taking advantage of the uh, format of it being like a debrief or like audio logs on the spaceship that maybe these are the only documents we had of this occurrence. Now, I'm, sh- I know that the audio drama was different than that, but I'm thinking of like you could use the medium in such a way where it's like, okay, maybe this is the only, evidence of the story that you have yeah so how would that realistically play out in real life like if someone if your only way to engage the story was in an audio experience how would that play out you know what i'm saying yeah
1: yeah well i think i yeah i hear what you're saying and i the some of the extra stuff of footsteps and bags that's I, that's yeah, that's a bit excessive for me i I'm sure I wouldn't enjoy
0: that, but i i and you just have to do it, you know, yeah like how else do you, I think that's you know?
1: part of the the experience is is fully immersing yourself into the sounds that you would most likely hear in that scenario and I think and it, it might be even unfair to compare alien because like so much of alien's draw is the atmosphere it sets, even in the movies mm-hmm. like this the sounds that you hear because I mean, for those who haven't seen the first one, at least you don't really see the alien all too much. It's a lot of just right. what you hear and what you think you hear and what people say about it. And so that, that to me, I think translates really well to an audio drama. Now a, a crime, like a true crime or a, a crime drama that I, I don't know, that would be,
0: that would be a little tough, I think. Um, yeah. But I think the medium works though, because so much so much of what a crime drama is, is exposition in, you know, the interrogation yeah. room, the debriefs, the briefings, like it yeah. does work because m- most of the story moves through exposition that as is a it good is. Point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point.
1: I, I think I, I might try that. I, I, when I saw that on your list, I was, I thought to myself, I haven't listened to an audio drama since that alien one. I, would
0: very yeah, much like the, the episodes year. are like 25 minutes long they're pretty good they they've got bad. like five minutes worth the ads in there and maybe less i don't know but and the acting yeah. is good right oh the acting is good the acting is very good that's <clears throat> that that's, is true that's what matters to me i, I like that i like yeah the acting. So we're going to start wrapping things up here, but as we get into our wrap-up, I just want to encourage you to head over to our website. It's steellakestudio.com. That's steellakestudio.com. You can go over there. If you want to give any comments or you have any questions about the podcast, we have a community page with a contact form. Just go ahead and fill that out. Let us know what you are thinking or the question you have or the comment that you have. And it's a way we can start building a community. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be releasing episodes twice a week. I know I said that at the beginning of this podcast, but I just wanted to remind you that for the next three weeks, we're going to release them on Monday and Thursday, since we have a decent-sized back catalog. And we really hope you enjoy this, and I'm looking forward to recording more of these episodes. Zach, do you have anything you want to just share with our audience as we're kind of closing up here about whether things that are coming or, or how people might be able to give us feedback, what you're looking for feedback wise?
1: Yeah, no, let us know what you guys, um, what you guys like, what you guys even don't like, what you would like to see on the podcast. Um, we, we love talking about this stuff. And, um, if you guys, if you guys love hearing about it, we, we definitely love also hearing from you because, um. This is, this is a lot of fun for us and, um, we, we love just sharing it. So if you guys have an idea of, of, of a story or a movie or a book or, or anything, um, just let us know, drop us the line and, uh, we'll definitely we'll see if we can work that in and, um, garner some discussion there. But, uh, we really, I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, this is, this is an awesome thing for, for at least my end of, to do, um, And i'm sure cody you're also enjoying it also this is this is a lot of fun and um yeah you guys just just keep keep listening
0: well i think we've talked long enough let's hit them with the music and get out of here you again so much for listening to this episode of parallel quest please be sure to head over to steellakestudio.com studio.com to see more about who we are parallel quest is a production of steel lake studio and we have a special thanks to jake butler for providing our intro and outro music we'll see you next time on parallel quest bye